Welcome to the Neville on Fire podcast. Neville Goddard was a 20th century spiritual teacher who offered a profound message. Your creative imagination is the very source of reality. As we learn to use it properly, life becomes intelligible and rewarding. Join your host, Ed, to explore our most valuable asset, the human imagination. This is episode two, Manifesting versus Total Reversal. So this episode is going to use the idea of manifesting as a point of departure. Now, this is what the discourse on Neville seems to focus on overwhelmingly. People are really interested in the idea of manifesting their reality, and rightly so. It's a very attractive and worthwhile notion, but the whole thing, I think, goes deeper. If you just take it at first blush, at first glance, it seems to imply two distinct things. There's me, there's my mind within, and then there's the external world within which I'm going to manifest something that is desired. But I think Neville's message is something in the nature of a total reversal. He's saying that the two, that is the mind and the external world, are actually one and the same thing. And that's the nuance, that's the uh, next level that we need to get to to really go deep and understand what Neville's talking about. So in this episode, uh, we'll use the idea of manifesting as a point of departure to explore the idea behind it, that is the reality of the psyche. Uh, But I won't abandon the idea of manifesting altogether in this episode. In fact, we'll end with an exercise to focus on just that. Well, I want to start with a brief summary of some of the points that we covered in the first episode, because this is something that we'll use to build upon. Uh, I referred to a lecture that Neville gave called fundamentals. Actually, it was an article. He lists three practices that he characterizes as fundamentals in in metaphysics. The first one is self-observation. The second one is definition of aim. And the third one is separation. Now, it seems to me he might have presented these in reverse order. You could take uh, the first thing, uh, separation, uh, also referred to as detachment or non-identification, as the fundamental practice, and that's why I gave you the exercise on awareness of being. The second thing, definition of aim. We have to have an aim of some description, and whether that aim is a general one or a a more immediate one that is sort of more trivial in nature but still definite, nonetheless, it's best to have an aim and not to drift. That is most important. Do not drift. The third element is self-observation. Now here I can tell that he read the fourth way literature because that term comes directly from the fourth way. So the idea is that you use your faculty of detachment, you use your faculty of being able to witness yourself to observe uh, where you are in yourself. What thoughts, what emotions are you experiencing with regard to what? With regard to your present circumstances and your aim. All right, this is how Neville sets it out. So with all of this in mind, let's look at this whole idea of manifesting our reality. So my observation is that in trying to manifest specific things and events, we might be perpetuating um, our unconscious assumption about our own nature and identity. So the misconception that I'm talking about is that we uh, might unwittingly be persisting in our feeling of ourselves as physical beings, uh, having a separate faculty called mind, which somehow brings about things 
whether that's you know accessing the quantum reality or a- accessing a finer degree of materiality, whatever it is, um, but somehow it brings about things in the concrete, independently existing external world, and that's that's precisely the point. I believe that Neville's idea is that it's there is no independently existing external world. Now he's following on the principle in the Hermetic writings that the universe is mental in nature. He also quotes Blake many times, saying, uh, quote, all that you behold, although it appears without, it is within in your imagination. So, um, similarly, another person, the other person is, in his terms, the seeming other. There's only one mind. There's only one consciousness. There's only one being, uh, and that is all God. So, Another person, while we maintain our individuality, at the same time, the other person is only the seeming other. So there's some sort of mystery there. Similarly, the outside world is, as he often says, you pushed out. So uh, we have two sources in the Western tradition, in the Hermetica and William Blake, which uh, Neville quotes quite often to underscore this point. So what is the result of (laughs) contemplating this whole idea that the world is ourselves pushed out, that the other is the seeming other, and so on? It's um, somehow to make us feel much more closely related, uh, much more vividly aware and connected with the uh, seeming external reality. So I just want to emphasize this point that Uh, As opposed to uh, visualizing something or intending something and then waiting for its appearance in manifestation, Neville often emphasizes the point that the very present moment is actually an immediate reflection of your own state. You know, in Western philosophy, there's a term called solipsism, which we might think captures this worldview that's being expressed by Neville. The Wikipedia definition, the external world might not exist outside the mind. Okay, except with Neville, there is no might not. It's he's unequivocal about it. So it's the actual experience. You know, in the first episode, we were trying to reconcile Neville's view with the conventional view of Christianity. Well, how about Neville's view with regard to um, other traditions, not necessarily Western? I think Neville's view is good news to those who look for parallels between the mystic philosophies of the East and the West. So at the risk of oversimplifying the matter, I'm going to give you some excerpts from Buddhist and Hinduist texts that uh, reflect exactly the notion that we're focusing on, which is that the external world and the mind are one and the same thing. So here's the first quote. This is from uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. May I recognize whatever appeareth as being mine own thought forms. The second one from the Upanishad sacred writings, or I should say a commentary on the Upanishads. Quote, the Upanishad holds the mind to be the only God, and all actions in the universe are thought to be a result of the mind assuming infinite forms. Now that's a commentary given uh, in the Wikipedia entry, Solipsism, and I'm going to give a reference to that in the show notes. From the same article, I'll give you a third quote. For the enlightened, all that exists is nothing but the self. And finally, I'll give you a fourth quote. This is from the Tibetan spiritual tradition. After a certain demonstration, quote, the belief in the solid reality of an external object is destroyed. The disciple's spirituality, being in itself, must remain unaffected by falsehood and deceit 
by abiding in pure commitment. That's from The Life and Teaching of Naropa. So following on those indications from Eastern philosophy, I want to pursue the point, the same point, using Neville's language. He said that there's no qualitative difference between a dream image, a memory image, and a sensory image that is before us in the present moment. The experience of what we call reality can be described as an image, a sensory image, in which we see projected, so to speak, onto the screen of space what we are currently experiencing as our state. Now, to the question, why then does the seeming external world in the present moment have such a forceful aspect of hard reality? He answers, uh, the imagination is immersed in and acting from the present sensory image. That's why it seems to be so overpoweringly real, whereas it is out of and thinking of last night's dream image, for example, or a memory image. Well, this seems very difficult to grasp, and for some people it will seem to be nonsense, but I think it's worthwhile considering carefully just to uh, turn it over and over in your mind. Uh, we can already see with the practiced acquisition of wordless self-consciousness, um, and I'm referring here to the exercise that I provided in episode one, uh, we can already see that with that sort of practice, objections to new ideas are taking on a sort of relative quality as opposed to the status of uh, a calcified truth. So we're a little more open to considering the nature of reality by carefully contemplating and considering new ideas. So in this way, we can start to consider the idea of the present sensory image as a waking dream, an entirely relative concoction or assemblage reflecting nothing other than our own beliefs, our own current state. Now, does that seem counterproductive if we're trying to reach a, a place of better self-assurance, uh, better confidence, uh, better faith, and so on? I don't think so. I think, on the contrary, it's liberating because first, and this is essential, with the practice of self-remembering, self-consciousness, we feel more vitally alive and real than we ever have before. And then with the realization that the external world is not threatening us from the position of an independently existing and malevolent force unto itself, but it's merely a reflection subject to our control. That's the very freedom that I think people have been seeking since time immemorial. You know, I'm convinced that this truth that sets you free is the very secret that is at the heart of uh, secret societies, the secret knowledge uh, in mystery schools, in ancient esoteric traditions, and so on. I I'm convinced that this is the very heart of it. As Neville himself says, uh, to the person who understands the creative principle, nothing can stop him. Of course, that assumes that you've mastered the idea, that you've overcome your own subconscious objections, and that you've practiced, and you can somehow gradually uh, accustom yourself to this worldview and put it into practical application. So right there, I've summarized the whole purpose of this podcast series. Now, to those who might think this is all nonsense from the point of view of modern science, um, let's just do a little uh, side discussion on that point. People forget that the materialist scientific attitude, which completely colors our thinking, I admit, but uh, that attitude is very young in terms of the march of history and the progression of human uh, worldviews. So uh, material science itself and its seeming quality of absolute truth uh, are really nothing more than constructs of the mind. 
Now, as discussed in episode one, and I gave three references, uh, the edifice of science, if it is really honest, it must give up its claim to the scientific standards of evidence, verifiability, repeatability, and so on. Why? Because the very practitioners ignore those standards. Uh, they, they perpetuate one or another paradigm, which has the characteristics of a rigid and repressive institution. So this is not a blanket condemnation of science, nor is it a denial of the achievements of science uh, in technology and so on. It's just a, a way to uh, give ourselves permission and rationale to consider another view of reality that just might have merit and uh, in personal experiment is verifiable and repeatable. So we can use the, the principles of good science, ultimately good science, that is science that is honest and comprehensive, must accord with a uh, true religious practice. Practice. Okay, now I'm going to belabor this point a little bit. If you're still objecting on the, on the grounds of uh, modern science, let me ask you, is it good science to ignore or refuse to acknowledge um, the evidence, the counter-evidence? Uh, and this is what routinely goes on. Um, if something is presented that uh, goes counter to, to the current theory, then uh, a scientist will often simply ignore the evidence or deny it. They'll try to discredit the evidence, but if, if it's overwhelmingly uh, credible, then the scientist will very rarely go back to the original theory and say, okay, our, our, our theory is now discredited. Our theory is faulty. We have to go back to the drawing board and revise. Now, this happens because there's simply too much conflict of interest going on. There's too much bound up in one's uh, career, um, reputation, salary, and so on, to go against the force of the institution. But when it comes back to ourselves, when it comes back to you and me trying to consider this material and uh, learn a new standpoint, to acquire a new mental standpoint, it's going to be the, the bastions of conservatism within our own subconscious that we're fighting against. So that's why uh, there's uh, quite a lot of emphasis on trying to pay attention to how your subconscious is manifesting itself, what attitudes, what beliefs, what thoughts, what emotions are coming to the to the surface in response to um, current conditions and in response to your ideal, in response to your aim. And those observations will reveal to you internal barriers. Now here we're getting into the subject of the limitations of imagination, the limitations of, of what is possible. Are there any limitations? Well, this is something that's really worthwhile considering. It seems like the limitations that are imposed are simply the ones that are imposed by the limitation in your own belief. Now, if that sounds outrageous, remember, there's all kinds of interesting evidence about things that seem uh, impossible that go against that fly in the face of uh, physical science uh, results of, for example, uh, experiments in hypnosis. So it might be worthwhile doing a, an entire episode just on on that phenomenon. But what I suggest now is we come back around to an exercise. Let's try to put this whole thing into practice, just on a small scale, to get a feel for what the whole thing is about. So here I'm suggesting that at a predetermined time of the day, take, let's say, 20 or 30 minutes to review the exercise in self-remembering that I gave in episode one. Uh, the author is Rolf Alexander. The second thing, define your aim. Now, what is your heartfelt desire? It could be an aim that really has a sort of a grand scale, but I suggest that you try to make it something simple and definite. Once you've decided on a definite aim that reflects your heartfelt desire, formulate the desired end. What is the end result that you want? 
Do not devise the means and do not dwell on worry if the whole thing should seem improbable. Third thing, review this episode. Try to internalize the whole idea that everything is within. The idea that you're not fighting a malevolent and threatening external world. On the contrary, the external world is awaiting your command, just like the title of that selection from Neville, at your command. Now, mentally step into the state of your wish already having been fulfilled. That is crucial. Keep in mind Neville's admonition. He says, quote, the feeling of the wish fulfilled, if assumed and sustained, must objectify the state that would have created it. That's from Prayer, the Art of Believing, and I'll put a link in the show notes. For the rest of the day, I can suggest, after your session, continue in your assumption. Deal with doubt and worry as you would deal with any negative state. In other words, use detachment, use indifference, use non-belief. Then return to an attitude of confident expectation of your wish fulfilled. Finally, persist and persist. So to summarize today's episode, We considered the idea of manifestation and how at the back of this idea there's really a worldview or an understanding that the mental existence, the psyche, is really the all. There's nothing but God, there's nothing but consciousness, and the external world is only the seeming external world. It doesn't present an independent, malevolent force that is fighting against you. It is simply a reflection of your own belief. And that point of view is reflected in many Eastern teachings, and we gave quotes to that effect. We discussed that although we have an overwhelmingly materialist science viewpoint, uh, our mentality is pretty much shaped by that in this society. Science itself is a relative phenomenon, and it does not really obey the strictures that it puts in place. That gives us permission to uh, explore a different worldview. And to explore that worldview, we ended with an exercise to achieve awareness of being, to define an aim, and then to persist in the feeling of the wish fulfilled, and to carry this out as an experiment. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and I look forward to speaking with you further and exploring this whole mystery of the imagination. Thank you for listening. Remember to check the show notes and subscribe to the Neville on Fire podcast. 